0: Alright, KISS Army, welcome to the KISS FAQ Podcast. Thank you for letting us into your head. I hope we don't do any damage. This is a KISS-related podcast, by the board, for the board. We hope you enjoy. Uh, welcome to episode 19 of the KISS FAQ Podcast. Joining me today is Andrew, a live cat man, and What's welcome up? And welcome back, Joel Ludzill. And uh, we've got a special guest today, Mark Slaughter. So, Mark, you know, thanks a lot for giving us some of your time today. Um, I want to congratulate you on your solo album, Reflections in a Review Mirror. And we'll get to that in a couple of minutes. But I'd like to start, you know, by digging into a bit of your history. You know, and what brought you into rock and roll? What in your youth made you pick up a guitar? You know, get interested in singing. And just, a, you know, a quick overview for people who may not be familiar with you.
1: Well,. When I was younger, I always had a, I always loved music. I always found myself sitting in front of a record player, so it was just kind of a natural progression. I don't think it was like one day I just said, "Oh my gosh, this this band changed my life," and I picked up the guitar or started singing. It's just something that I always loved. So uh, that's kind of like when I was 11 years old, which is when I r- picked up guitar for the first time. That's when I really said, you know what, I I want to make music. That, that in my mind, that's what I was going to do. So, pretty much from about eleven years old forward, I music has been my life.
0: So, when did you make the jump from kind of like listening to music to you know getting well getting into a first band? I mean, when did you make that step? About what age? And uh, you know, what was your first kind of band that you got active in?
1: Well, the first band I had was kind of a obviously. You know, Kiss was one of the one of the bands that, that was you know out at that time. It was very influential for us, but we liked you know a lot of the you know it was Boston and a lot of other things that were creeping in that that were you know a part of it all. And uh, you know, I've always been just more so than bands. I've been more about songs. It's not like a certain band was like that band is the one that changed my life. It's a it's more of a musical community than it is of, of a certain, you know, band. Um, And, you know, again, it was all the bands who had songs
2: that, that, that moved me. If it moved me, I was into it. Well, when you were younger and obviously you started on guitar, did you ever, were there ever any times that you were like, man, I'm really not feeling the guitar. Maybe I should start singing. Maybe I should start doing something else. Uh, Because I listened to one of your other appearances and it kind of seemed like you started singing by accident
1: well i was singing because it was like what i i sang along with records and you know when i was since i was a little boy um and it's just something i naturally did you know guitar was a you know that's one of those things you say okay i'm going to i'm going to beat up the ends of my fingers i'm going to i'm going to learn this and i'm going to do this that's more of a conscious effort than something you know you can you can sing in a frozen food aisle over it at the supermarket you know it's just something that's it's it's with you whenever wherever you go so you know that was really my conscious effort at that point um there was uh there were a couple uh teachers at my elementary school when i was growing up that played folk songs and played acoustic guitar and and uh, I asked them, you know, what, how do you do that? Or I said, well, we play chords and we do this stuff. And I said, oh, I could, you know, show me that chord, show me this chord. And, you know, the next thing I know, I was, you know, playing guitar and singing. Then I got really, really driven more towards my guitar than really thinking about my voice because it was kind of, it was more of an effort, you know what I mean? So, mm-hmm. um, you know, and I did bands, I had, you know, s- several bands that, that, you know, I did um, Excursion, for instance, had a lot of different uh, ver- versions of that band since I was uh, pretty much about uh, 15 forward is when I started that band. And, uh, you know, I
2: ended that just prior to, uh, you know, I did Rose Parade, and then I went right into doing, you know, Vinnie Vincent. I'm glad that you mentioned Vinnie Vincent, because obviously we're, we're a KISS podcast, so although we do wow. want to cover uh, whatever's going on with Reflections in the Rear Mirror, we're interested in your history with, with Vinnie Vincent, which uh, I heard one of your appearances on Three Sides of the Coin, and I think you do a really great uh, Vinnie Vincent impression. But was oh, yeah. there ever <laughs> was there ever a fan moment that you're in there, you're playing with Vinnie Vincent, and you're kind of remembering back that you used to love Kiss? Was there ever a fan moment where you go, oh my God, I can't believe I'm here with one of the guys that played in Kiss? I think that
1: more so than. I, at at that point, I think it was really more of, you know, I got thrown in pretty much about a month and a half before the, before they were going to be going out on tour. They had got the tour uh, with Alice Cooper and uh, they, then they, they were going to do the video and then they were going to go right out on the road. So all of a sudden, you know, I get this thing of, of, going in and and, and playing with the, with the band, and then it was like, dye your hair, change this, do this, do that, and then, you know, the Baptism by Fire uh, opening for Alice Cooper in front of 11,000 people, that was, as a singer, it was, you know, a complete different scenario for me. But uh, it was really cool. I mean, was I starstruck with Vinny? I, I don't think I, it's, I don't really get to the point where I go, oh my God, I'm freaking out. I, I, I don't, I don't really get starstruck, but I I definitely had the thing of this is really cool. You know what I mean?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: It was more of that. It was more of that than than like you know. Oh my God! I I did this. I saw this. I saw you here. I mean, I had met Vinny uh, with with uh, a friend of mine, uh, Pat, who you know was a big Kiss fan. And you know when they would come town, he would go autograph hunting and and meet him and say hi. And I had met Gene. Uh, I had met uh, um, Eric, and I had also met Vinny, uh, just walking around Caesar's Palace. In fact, uh, in fact, there's a picture that I just posted not too long ago on my Facebook page of when I was playing guitar for Hamer Guitars. Paul Hamer uh, knew he he liked what I did as a guitar player and said, you know, why don't you come play at my booth? And I said, cool, you know, how's it work? And he goes, I'll get you a badge and I'll get you in. The only thing you have to do is just get down there and we'll have you playing at the booth. When people come by, you can play and hang out. And I was like, that's cool. So I ended up playing guitar at the Hamer booth. And, uh, and then of course I walked around a little bit, but that's the, the really when I met, uh, uh, Vinny as well was was at that, and that was prior to us, you know, even doing anything together.
0: These these days before you hit the road with Vinny, Mark, one of the items I've got in my collection is a, a full studio version of you singing Shoot You Full of Love. I'm curious about that, and whether you recorded, if you recall, number one, recording this, and whether you planned to do any other recordings, or was this kind of done as a possible single to integrate you into the band and get that out there uh, for the record buying public
1: Um, that wasn't an integration at all. That was uh, that was basically, the record label wanted to hear what my voice sounded like singing it. Yeah, so it was more like, well, what's this guy sound like? And so uh, I had gone into the studio. It was a studio called RMS Studios um, with a friend of mine, Lou, Lou Castro, who uh, um, was a guy I went to high school with his dad on his studio. So we went Recorded the vocal there, and uh, you know, Dana came out, and uh, and it was just the two of us in the studio. I did the recording, and then uh, you know, the I guess the record label had decided between a, a couple other singers and myself, and said, you know, you know, you're the guy. And so it was kind of like just boom! All of a sudden, my guitar went in the stand, and, and here I go.
0: Oh, that's that's really cool. So that that song actually predates you even getting the gig. Then
1: that is that right there is exactly that. That was as good as the audition.
0: You know that that's un- that's unbelievable. That's a really good re- recording, by the way. But you know, all of a sudden you're on the road road opening for oh, Alice nice. Cooper. What what was your rehearsal regimen with Vinnie and I guess Bobby and Dana? You know, getting ready for well, that you know, tour.
1: It, it was very bizarre because Vinny was more consumed with like getting his guitar parts and his solos right and his solos right. So they were just kind of like in there just, you know, full blown. I mean, the band was a very progressive band. I, it, it, I think it's very underrated uh, progressive band of what these guys were doing. Bobby Rock is an incredible drummer. Dana's a lot more, uh, a lot better bass player than people give him credit for. Um, and then there's Vinny. And so you have three kick-ass players playing and they're working all these parts out. And I was basically, you know, instead of sitting in the room singing, I I would go shut the door to the rehearsal hall and just go sing outside the door so I could just kind of, you know, feel my voice out and everything else because it was so damn loud. I mean, you know, Slaughter's a loud band, no different than how Vinnie Vincent was. It was a really incredibly loud, um, you know, the way we did it.
0: Was there ever so, any any plan for you like to strap on a guitar to help Vinny out, you know, and let him? Now,
1: I don't think Vinny ever wanted me to go near a guitar. The only time <laughs> he ever really wanted me to go near a guitar is when we were in the studio, and he was like, "Hey Mark, how do you do that one thing, and how do you do this?" You know, a couple little, you know, things I did that you know that uh, uh, and that he knew that I knew how to play, and some Eddie Van Halen stuff. And you know, I was a teacher, so I knew some of that stuff.
2: So but wait, like, but if you tell if Vinny's telling you to if Vinny's telling you to do something, you gotta do it in the Vinny voice though. <laughs> well, Mark, can you yeah, exactly. Can you show me how to do that? exactly.
0: That that just sounds wild though. Vinny Vincent asking you I mean, I know you're a guitar player and you're a good guitar player, but asking you about, you know, like Eddie Van Halen type stuff or you know, some 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 stuff that you well, know. There was-
3: yeah,
1: it was it was different, and but you know what? It, again, I think the guitar player is just one of those things that if you're a guitar player, you're a guitar player, and you you that's kind of how guitar players are. Hey, dude, how do you do that one thing? I mean, that's how you communicate, and uh, um, you know, it's the part of the dance. But uh, you know, it was really cool, and and uh, and you know, Vinny is is a he was an incredibly talented guitar player, and. and And on so many aspects, it's not like I showed the guy how to play. It's just I showed him a few things. No different than, you know, I picked up a lot of things from him, obviously.
2: I I just have to ask, because it's been publicized more than probably any of us want to admit, all the issues that that Vinny has had in the last moments. What what goes through your mind when you hear about those types of things, if you want to talk about that? You mean uh, issues meaning what? Well, there was an issue publicized about his court battles with KISS or, unfortunately, how his supposed home in Nashville was found in a, in a state of disrepair. Just Unfortunately, you have this guy who was an amazing guitar player in the 80s. Unfortunately, now the only time he gets in the press is when they're talking badly about him.
1: Well, and, and you know, again, as I've you know cuz there's been a lot of questions about you know Vinny as, as of late and and I I think that really what I've tried to do is clear the air of what I know and what I experience as to what I did as a as a uh, um as an artist with him and again I, I have no reason to to slam his talents and I don't think Gene or anybody else would slam the the side of uh, of of his talent It's just in the merit of how he dealt with the public or people he he played with in in a band with. Um, And, you know, that's that's and again, I don't need to to go into it, but, um, you know, he's again, I, I I'm still blown away with some of the stuff that he did literally in a dressing room. And literally from, you know, Dave Murray and the guys from Iron Maiden, when we were sitting around and he was playing stuff, that still to this day is one of the most unbelievable stuff that, that uh, as far as copying like the Jeff Beck stuff, note for note. I mean, note for note. And I don't know many people who can do that, but Vinny could. Jeff Beck's my favorite guitar player, period.
0: He had an incredible you know musical background, Vinny. I mean, uh, Little Anthony, all the jazz and blues stuff he'd done in the 70s. So, you know, right. I, that doesn't shock me too much that, you know, Beck and Vinny, uh, you know, kind of worked well together. But, you know, Invasion performed Lick It Up. You know, Kiss is still performing Lick It Up and I Love It Loud. So, you know, Vinny's songwriting is obviously, you know, very key to that. When you guys are out on tour, this—I mean, with Alice Cooper, you guys are doing—and I don't know if you were on stage or not because I never saw you—a um, fusion speedball like jam, but yeah. that kind of leads into how did how did the set come together for that tour? You know, with, I, I
1: think it was just kind of like it was one of those things of what was going to create the most mayhem. I mean, and again, Vinny's idea and his vision for the band was to be as over the top in every way that we could be. And I, I think that, you know, for those of of the people that saw Invasion at that point, it was over the top. And, you know, when I was just like this young kid, just literally thrown in the mix of it all. Um, and, you know, and of of course I felt, you know, very blessed and happy to be a part of the whole thing. But, I mean, it was crazy, man. It was just like, you know, like the boys are going to rock video. I mean, it was just like, let's just, let's just blow it all up. Let's just not just, let's not just destroy the, the, the drum set. Let's destroy everything. I mean, it was like, that was the whole mindset. Let's take this over. And, uh, um, and, and there is a, there is a, a thing about that, that I think that through the band, you know, during the time I was there through it is the band really went out there and, and did everything we could to, try to kick ass and take names.
0: Was there ever any consideration to how many of these songs you could sing night after night? I mean, I'm looking at the tour itinerary. You did six nights in a row to start the tour no. with Alice. You know, yeah. and that, there's no. a lot of vocal acrobatics in those songs. How did you hold no, up? Yeah,
1: It is, It is, and I think it's the one thing that, that the truth is, is physically, the most challenging thing for me was to increase my um my lung size is kind of what I thought when I first when the audition the the auditions and everything was going on I was like I've got to make it to where I can sing this because Dana told me he goes look when we recorded Robert those verses were pieced together and punched together in other words they were recorded there was like a you know a, a line and then punched and then punched and punched so <clears throat> there's really no breath so it was like one of those things, not only did I have to run around a large, big stage and, you know, in big concert arenas, but there was no breasts that were even in the original recording. So I had to go in there and sing a whole verse, you know, basically line for line for line for line and just, just going for it. And that, again, I love the challenge. I love that aspect of it. And I think it, it uh, shaped me a lot better to who I am as a, as a musician to this day.
0: Would you have a favorite song that you performed that you you'd like doing every night?
1: Oh, I used to love uh, "Wanna Be Your Victim." I just loved the the way that song was was uh, um, the bass was cool on it, you know, and it was just really cool the way you know it started to do 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 do, and then all of a sudden he opens up his volume knob and it feeds back. I mean, I just that's just rock and roll, man. That's Jimi Hendrix and all the old school cool stuff, you know.
0: Nice.
2: Most of uh, most musicians, and I'm a musician myself, we don't even make it to one successful band. Uh, here you are, you had two hugely successful bands. Was there ever any type of worry or any type of, maybe we shouldn't do this when you made the transition from Invasion to Slaughter? And, and not for nothing, Slaughter was much more successful than Invasion, but obviously you had no, you didn't know that at that point. Well, you never
1: know. I think really what it comes down to, and that's one thing that we learned with invasion, in, in, in and in a roundabout way, in a funny way, actually, uh, a gentleman had posted the pictures one night. Vinny got overheated when we were in the in the um, when we were on the very last tour in '88. He got overheated, and he just turned to me and he goes, "I can't do the encore, Mark. Just go do it without me." And he didn't have to tell me twice. And I, I went and grabbed his, his, his uh, you know, double V. And I walked up and I, and, you know, it was like a bow tie to me because, you know, I'm a big guy. Um, and uh, we played Lick It Up. And what I really realized more than anything, I mean, which the song has no solo, first of all. Second of all, it's a song. <laughs> it is a song and those are the two things that resonated to me
4: and the reaction
1: that we had on that encore was probably better than what we had the whole evening so that being said the power of a great song and being driven for the song value and not you know what and how many notes you can fit in that's what matters is the song and I think that's uh, really not- how that that changed the face of how slaughter was going to be, um, the 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 template, let's say, of the of the
2: songs that we were going to write was set right there. And I'm glad you mentioned that because I, I want to mm-hmm. skip around a little bit, but I I kind of want to bring up a question about reflections in a rearview mirror. Did you approach that with let me just write song after song after song, or did you know immediately? that you wanted to just do a full length album and not really focus I, I on. Re- I really didn't. I wasn't something that I said, I'm going
1: to make a record. I, I just started recording and I was writing songs and I just thought, well, you know, either this is going to wind up in television or this will wind up in film or this will wind up, you know, that's kind of the the premise of where I started with it. And then I started writing with a couple people and, and, um, uh, and lo and behold, I started getting this collection of songs and I said, you know what? I think I'm just gonna throw a record out there. And, you know, ultimately that's that's what I've done. I mean the labels that we used to know of, especially in, in rock music, you know, have pushed literally Steven Tyler to the point of doing country. You know, I'm and, not and Michaels. <laughs> yeah, and, and you know, exactly. But I'm again, no diss to them. But I just really want to stay where my head's at, which is in rock and roll. That's what I do. I'll, I, you know, it's not. I'd rather be the label and be in control of it and keep my art to where to where I want my art to be, as to try to conform and be something I'm not.
2: So, is there going to be a Mark Slaughter solo tour, or will you pick right back up with Slaughter? Oh, we're, I'm, I'm literally on a flight tomorrow morning to go do a
1: show in Wendover, Nevada with, with uh, Slaughter tomorrow. I mean, I, I'll see Dana tomorrow. And we'll all drive two hours to, you know, we fly. We do flight dates. So we fly in, and then if there's an hour or two hours to drive in, in a van or whatever that the casino or whatever provides, we just kind of drive in, do the show, drive back, hop on a plane. I'll be back here um, Sunday like it never happened.
2: While we're talking about touring schedules, um I just booked my room on the Montes of Rock Cruise. It seems that these cruises are kind of where a lot of hard rock bands and and heavy metal bands are starting to go. Is that something that you would think that Mark Slaughter solo would do, or is that something that you would see uh slaughter doing well I mean i it's it's
1: it's uh, we've done it with slaughter and uh, we're actually booked for next October, not this October, but the October following, um, uh, in 16, uh, we are booked on that cruise. Um, so, you know, Slaughter does continue to do those, uh, and it's, it is a lot of fun to do that. I mean, I, I, I do enjoy it, but, uh, um, and it's different. It's very different because you do a couple shows on the boat as opposed to just one show.
0: Yeah, I want to hop back to, I mean, one of my questions about your your, your solo album, Mark, is when Tom Kiefer, Cinderella, um, put out his solo album, I immediately thought of you. I'm like going, mm-hmm. when's Mark going to do this? I kind of see Cinderella hasn't had a studio album, I guess, since 94. Slaughter's right. last one was in 99. You know, right. was was it kind did Tom influence you in any way? I mean, did you even know of his album? And did you start, no, when, when knew, did you start thinking Tom, about it?
1: Yeah, I knew, I knew Tom was making a record because he'd worked with, you know, Michael and a lot of other people out here. I mean, that took him 12, 13 years to do his record. Um, so I know he's been working on that a while. And again, you know, it's, that's part of, uh, of him finding the sound outside of Cinderella, And, uh, you know, to me, it's again, I'm not looking to be a solo like I'm going to be a solo artist. It's I really always reflect back to I mean, funny, we're talking about Kiss, but I reflect to Paul Stanley. Paul Stanley goes out and he does his own records, but it's still Kiss, man, you know, and and I think that's the same thing with with uh, Slaughter. That's that's the configuration of the people and the excitement that's there um and and you know i love it i wouldn't mind doing a couple solo dates if there's something that made sense but right now i'm really focused on um you know getting the music out more so than than, than going out there and trying to do a solo career cuz that's really not where my head's at
0: do you hope this leads to um slaughter hitting the studio again i mean do you have any hopes for that
1: i would i would hope that but i mean you're you're dealing with you know four individuals who live totally different lives in different states. And and to do that, it's an investment of time uh, and our own money to actually, you know, get something out of that. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I think Dana, he's busy with a lot of the stuff that he's doing with Vince and, and that stuff uh, uh, in, in his life itself to where I don't think he's really driven to put that at the top of his priorities because there's really not... A outlet for for music. I mean, even with what I've experienced on my solo CD, you know, I talked to this label, I talked to that label, I talked to this distributor, I talked to these people, and I just realized, you know, record labels as we knew it has changed immensely, and the side of of being in con- total control of your of your destiny and and you being a label is, makes more sense than. Than uh, than doing it otherwise because basically the product if you go to a Best Buy or you go to you know Out and About which is you know a mom and pop store for for CDs they're getting smaller and smaller with the amount of CDs that are in the in the rack space you know and uh, when that starts shrinking down that means that there's less and less of a of a um, a market that they could literally be selling toasters instead of CDs so. You know, it be, it's becoming an online thing, and it's becoming a download thing, and that's just where it's going. And nobody's getting their panties in a twist on it. It's just that's the natural course of, of where the industry is going.
0: And that's a shame because you know the download stuff is just so feels so disposable.
1: I do not like the download stuff. I, I I'm I'm I think that you know a wave file is just
0: it sounds better than. Than when it's compressed on an MP3. It's oh, a, it's w- a w- awesome. without a doubt. I mean, I bought your album off Amazon to give it a listen before you know we talked today. But I've got a, a physical copy coming in from Japan, which seems to be the only place that still cares about physical music. So, uh,
1: the only place I'm actually physically selling um, the the CD is just from my website. That's the only place I'm selling it because it's just there's really no place to physically go and sell that and uh um and again it sounds better it's a lot more personable there's the lyrics in there there's photos in there i spent a lot of time making sure that the that the artwork you know with with uh, the gentleman i was working with um they did a fantastic job and you know there it, it was a lot of time spent on this this is not something i just said i think i'm doing a record and you know i just you know threw it out there. I spent some time because I, I want, as a as a fan of, of all music, to have a product that is equal to what I knew and loved when I was first into it.
0: And that's part of the fun part of music. When we used to go into the stores and we discover stuff. I mean, I, I remember going into a record store. I was going to buy, what was it, Guns N' Roses, Live Like a Suicide. Ended up buying a great white CD, and, or... Cassette oh, right. back then.
1: Well, and again, it was also part of the thing that the guy at Tower, or you know, Sam Goody, or whoever it was at the register said, "Hey, if you like this, you'll like this." There was a there was a word of mouth uh, about what was available and what the music was like, and you could talk about it, or they could play it, spin it, and you could hear it. I mean, there's a lot of that uh, that is gone. I mean, obviously, you can sample stuff on hippie threes of, you know, sample this album now and it gives you 20 seconds, but you don't know which 20, 30 seconds you're actually sampling of the, of the song, you know?
0: Yeah, and then you can go out and buy just one song instead of buying the whole album and, you know, maybe, you know, like, liking the whole thing instead of, you know, cherry picking.
1: It's become a, and it's become a singles world as opposed to albums because of that.
0: So we're back to the 50s.
1: Um kind of, yeah, yeah, we are in a single's world of you know I could you know uh write a song with Kelly Keki from Night Ranger, which you know I, is one of my friends. we could write a song and I could go throw it up on iTunes, you know, record it, throw it up on iTunes, and there's a single, and that's it's that simple to throw things out,
0: so I want to go back to uh to Vinnie Vincent for you know and into the second album, and all systems go. Which I personally I find that to be a far superior album. Number one, it's not as over the top in terms of guitar, so it doesn't give me a headache. Um, right. But number two, the songwriting is much more refined and consistent. Did you have any input in the melodies, um, in the in the songwriting for All Systems Go?
1: I think that everybody was 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 adding on to what Vinny, you know, was his initial ideas, and you know, you're you're dealing with. You know, first of all, I was a guitar player and I have a sense of melody, so I had a sense of melody. Um, He had things written a certain way and I'd say, how about this? How about that? Well, let's try this. And, you know, that's kind of how it went. But it wasn't like I said, I don't like this melody and this sucks or anything like that. It was more of just kind of like whatever was best for the song. It wasn't like a pissing contest. It was just like it was all of us working together to, to get the best product we could do.
0: And I think uh, Vinny said that he had guitars and solos removed from that album, um, yet it seemed so balanced. What's your take on All Systems Go as you look back? What's that, 1988, so 27 years ago now?
1: 27, yeah, 27. Literally, it was released about three or four days ago. Yeah, 27 years ago. That time of year um, was edited because the A&R guy was just too over the top. So, you know, basically, they knew that they wanted – and. They wanted to start bringing it back to a sense of melody as opposed to, you know, how many notes you can fit in. that's where he had to go and redo things because the A&R, Jeff Aldrich said, you know, you got to bring these songs that we're trying to push. You got to pull it back a bit. And, uh, you know, Vinnie hated it. And that was where he really started getting sour with the label. And, you know, I don't like these people are a bunch of assholes. And I played the way I'm going to play. I'm Vinnie Vincent. And, you know, and uh, and that was kind of the downfall of his relationship with the label. And of course, to me, I'm like, whatever the song needs, that's where my head was at.
4: Mark, did you think that Vinnie Vincent became more trying to become a shredder or a guitar player rather than... Oh, absolutely.
1: A shredder, like absolutely. He would... Absolutely. Uh, he has a sense of songs. He has a sense of melody. And he's a great writer in every side of it. But then it would be overtaken by... But then I'm going to be, it's a Pearlman over the whole, whole top of this. You know, in other words, things that didn't even fit in this genre, uh, he would try to put things in that were just uh, uh, of speed, and I can do what the other guy can do better. And again, you know, you know like a B.B. King or a Jeff Beck or any of these guys, I mean, which Vinny was very capable of doing any of the Jeff Beck stuff. You know, but that's not how he wanted to be known as a guitar player. And again, that's that's his choice to do so.
0: Yeah, I I mean, I I think we all respect that. You know, it was the Vinnie Vincent invasion, kind of becomes the invasion.
1: As I do too, as I do too. But I mean, it's it's again, I think that's that's that was kind of a of a, a again the stepping stone into slaughter, where it really wasn't about that. You know, it was more about the songs and how people related to the songs and the soundtrack of our lives. I mean, it's like Kiss stuff. You know, Ace was a, you know, he's not like an over-the-top guitar player, but
2: but his every note that he played had meaning in it.
1: And that's you know, one of the things
0: that's, that really strikes me in the transition from Invasion, You and Dana, and Slaughter. You guys are songs-oriented, especially on that first yeah. album. And that that's, I mean, I'll I'll, yeah. I'll own up and say I only ever owned... Your first album and the the EP, uh, the live EP. Uh I've I've just gone back and bought all the other ones so that I could catch up on where you went musically. But that album, that's incredible in terms of just being focused. Was that a lesson that you learned from your experience with Vinny to focus on the songs?
1: And, And you know what? The thing is, is the songwriting time on that Stick It To You record was about two and a half weeks that's all that was spent on it i mean it was like it was one of those things that we just knew what we wanted in the songs we knew how we wanted to deliver the, the the songs in a certain way we knew the format that we wanted it to be played on radio and where it would fit in we knew the bands that influenced us that we were gonna you know, i i'd say let the influence continue into our music you know it was a very conscious very mindful way of 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 doing a record uh is it, it's not, uh, contrived, but I'd say that there was very influenced by our musical environment.
0: And I got, I got to ask you, does any of the material on stick it to you date from while you guys were still in Vinnie Vincent, you know, maybe working together on ideas or was it all freshly written?
1: It was all freshly written. Um, after the fact, um, I had, you know, I had gone back and, you know, I, the first thing that I wrote for the actual slaughter mindset was burning bridges was the first thing that I wrote. Um, and then, uh, I had the idea for, uh, fly the angels and I knew what the chorus was and but I didn't have the lyrics of the rest of it. So it was kind of like one of those things that was written down on pizza boxes and everything else that we could when we were doing the demo for the record label so that they could hear the songs.
0: So before we wrap up, I I guess, the Vinnie Vincent side of this discussion, I've been asked to ask you about the introduction to Ashes to Ashes. That's the backward section of uh, Cooney's Memories of You, which, of course, Dana produced... What's the deal with that? You know what? What were you guys thinking? Okay.
1: It, was, it was it was this. It was it was Jeff Scott Soto and myself doing the backgrounds, and the two of us blended really really well. I mean, he's a great singer, um, and we had done the background vocals that was stacked up and stacked up and stacked up. I mean, just tons of tracks of memories of you, and basically uh, Dana just said, you know, he, he loves Queen. And he said that would be kind of real queen like to throw on the front of that, and that's what it was. It was just that backwards.
0: And did Vinny know that?
1: Yeah, he did. Yeah, he did.
0: And also, was- I, I, I guess on the all systems go side of things, um, what was the deal with the tour? I mean, you guys went out with LA Guns, I believe. Um, yeah, we,
1: we were doing. It was it was uh, it was interesting because we had you know the first the tour before you know obviously in 88 we had Alice Cooper and we had um and we had Iron Maiden those are the two bands we toured with and then when we came back and did the record and we went out to do it there really weren't any tours that we could jump on so we decided to just go ahead and do you know small theaters and and you know larger clubs and stuff like that um with uh, just the band and L.A. Guns supported that on, on several accounts. Um, it, uh, and, you know, that was kind of hard. I don't think that, that uh, Vinny likes that type of touring, and it wasn't, you know, what he would look at as successful because, you know, here's a guy that played rock and Rio to, to thousands and thousands of people, and then he's all of a sudden playing in clubs. I think he's
4: looking around just going, how'd I get here?
0: Yeah, you it would have been a bit like going I'm back sure to those days. Part
4: of it, I'm sure, it's part of it. You know, when uh, when you look at the the image of the band from like the first record, was there a you know an effort to kind of tone down the image from like all systems um, go? Because you can kind of look at photos.
3: Yeah, I,
1: I, looking- I was. Yeah, I wasn't too keen on it. I was like, it's just not going that way, and neither was Dana and Vinny. Just you know, he—I think he liked the over-the-top thing, but you know, it wasn't cool. We tried to get it. We tried to tone it. It was a okay. conscious
4: effort.
0: Yeah. So, like, I guess, final question on the invasion: Do you have an, a favorite, uh, a favorite show you did with Vinny? You know, one that just stands out in your mind as a wow?
1: Um, I—I I think that probably the most impactful show was probably when we were up in CNN, it was the same thing with Slaughter. When we played up in the Tacoma Dome up in you know Seattle in that area, Those, I mean, bottom line is as much as the grunge area and that, you know, the music came from that area, man, those people rocked hard. And uh, they were out of hand. I mean, it was crazy. We played the show and and uh, um, I'll never forget, we we finished – and we just it tore it out the crowd was just going crazy know, it was awesome and then about two or three songs in bruce dickinson starts yelling at the crowd he goes hold on hold on he goes you're all a bunch of fucking assholes and i was like, <laughs> and I was like okay guys let's go let's leave <laughs> I mean, it was like meaning you know it was just that out of hand so Again, that's part of their crowd, and it was part of what was going on, and uh, we're not solely responsible. But you know, Love Maiden, Love that stuff, and you know, it was a, it was just a happy moment for me because I was playing with people who I dug, and and uh, we had a really good reaction. Did you have a favorite between touring with Alice Cooper versus Iron Maiden? Um, I I loved Alice. It's funny because both of them were favorites of mine. You know, I knew their whole catalog. I you know. Talked to Alice about that several times, um, but uh, which I like a very. There's a record that Alice did. Not to get completely off the subject, but again, it gets back into the songwriting side of it, and that's again, that's how I'm driven as a musician, dash producer, etc. Um, it was uh, a record that he did from the inside that David Foster produced, and right. I asked him about it. And I said, I said, I love that record. I know it's not like the typical Alice Cooper record, but I said, there's something about that record that was just, sonically, it was just so amazing, and he goes, well, that was Toto. I said, what do you mean, Toto? He goes, well, that's before Toto was doing it. It's basically Toto who played on that record. Right. Lukather, all those guys, Picaro, all them, and the guy who wrote the lyrics on that record, Bernie Topp. Right. Helm John. Right. Exactly. So you're dealing with you're dealing with a superior band, superior lyricist, and then you've got Alice Cooper. So I think that right there was something, you know, getting into you know it's always a underlying theme with me that the songs and the and the way the songs uh, resonate in the heart is is what's important to me.
0: That's re- that's really cool, you know. Let let's move out of the kind of the invasion and Vinny. Um, I mean, for everyone out there, Mark did a fantastic interview. What was it, a week or two weeks ago, with three sides of the coin? And I, I, we don't want to rehash everything that you covered there. So, everyone, I do advise you to go out there to three of the coin dot com or YouTube and check out Mark's interview that he did with them, because you know, there's a lot of stuff that. Um, that we're not going to get all, into today. It,
1: yeah, I mean, I, I'm I'm coming forward with everything that went on there. And again, it's all, this is, uh, there's nothing to gain here. This is just kind of like, let's, let's talk about it. You want to talk about it? Let's get it out there so everybody knows.
0: So check out those other podcasts and, uh, you know, let's move on. You know, with one, one last Vinny question, you know, what's the biggest <laughs> lesson you take away from him, uh, from working with Vinny? What What was your biggest learning point?
1: I had a lot of things of what not to do. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I, I I I I learned a lot of to dos, but I learned a lot of not to dos. And I think one of the most important thing that I there I've saw people who had like Vinnie Vincent invasion tattooed on their on their arm, and he just literally walked by and treated them like shit. And 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 I I think I it was one of those things that is I thought wow you know as a fan that's not cool, and as a as a You know, seeing that and seeing the hurt, and talking to the person afterwards, I don't want to do that to anybody.
0: Yeah, that's 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 a good one. So you know, let's dig into slaughter a bit more. Um, Stick it to you. You're opening up for Kiss. How did you guys get that slot?
1: Eric Carr, point point blank. He uh, he loved the record. Um, He he actually took the record to Gene and Paul. And uh, um, then he uh, they liked the record and then they watched the charts and they watched the MTV activity. And uh, lo and behold, we got offered the uh, first leg, as they call it, the leg of the tour, which is about a month month and a half. Um, We were offered that with uh, Kiss. It was uh, it was pretty crazy because the band had never played live. And the first show we ever played was in Lubbock, Texas. And when we came off the stage after playing our very first live show, our, our record company president was there with a gold record, presenting it to the band. Amazing. It's a moment that I can't... It's just like, you got to be fucking kidding me. I mean, it was like that type of a moment, you know?
2: Slaughter was, was really, really rising fast at that time. And unfortunately, KISS really wasn't. Uh, it was KISS' biggest tour of the decade. Was there any interaction between you and KISS? Because KISS was this dinosaur band, even at that time, and Slaughter was this really, really hot new band. And I don't even think, and Julian, you could probably correct me on this, but I don't even think KISS' album at that time, Hot in the Shade, was certified gold. No, I have not gone gold yet. No, I, I really, I, I, you know what,
1: I, I don't think, I, I just don't, I, I don't think of, of KISS as a, as a dinosaur band in, in any aspect, because... You know, I, I think that they had a, they had a, uh, even at that point, they had a long, long history of uh, a discography that was incredibly amazing. I'm not the biggest Kiss fan, and it's not like I, I, I lived my whole life, I, how would Kiss do this, you know, but uh, it was a, it was a great thing for me to, to, to see how these guys do it. I mean, they, they, they know their, they know their shit, in every aspect. Yeah. If I could interject real quick, uh, Mark, my first concert. Was
4: was Slaughter, Faster Pussycat, and Kiss. I was in the third wow. grade. It was May fifteenth, nineteen ninety. I literally just just thought about it the other day. And uh, so you were the first band I ever saw live. And so wow. after cool. that show, I went and got the album. And uh, not only that, but you, uh, I got it, I got it on cassette first, and then I got the uh, the EP that you guys released. Um, and so for me, I kind of grew up listening to Slaughter, you know, because it was that memory of like, man, that's kind of my band. And so at the time when I saw you guys, right. it was all three bands at the time had a massive hit. So Kiss had Forever, You had Up All Night, right. that, before Flight the Angels came out, and Faster Pussycat had uh, House of Pain. And so for me as a fan, it was just cloud nine. I mean, all three bands right. were hot at the time. Now, you talked about, you know, that record, Stick it To You Came Out. You guys wrote it in two and a half weeks' time. Um, right. Was there is there a certain track on that record that just stands out for you when you first wrote it you knew, wow, it's really coming
1: along? I think that, you know, each track has a different, you know, uh, records are like kind of a human emotions. You have a happy song, a sad song, a party song, a this song. You know, that's kind of how you look at what, you don't have in a collection of a body of a record. You know what I mean? You know, you listen to ACDC record, you know, it's not like one of those things you're going to go crying in your beer about something. You know, it's all, you know, put your beer in the air and party down. I mean, it's, it's just a rock and roll, straightforward, good time record when you're dealing with with that. So there's different aspects and different emotions to different songs on that record. So, I think that really what we were trying to do is to make it a well rounded record for every emotional side of, of, human, of a human experience. Sad song, sarcasm, um, everything, you know, it was really written in that side of it of what, uh, what how it all fit together. At least that's how I see it.
4: Okay. I had read some possibilities that there was a drum machine used. During that recording, is that true, or is that Blas? It's Blas. There's some
1: supplemental uh, sounds and stuff that are on there.
0: And you guys pretty much did the whole tour with Kiss, uh, you know, straight through to Eric Carr's last concert with the band. Um, do you have any favorite memories of that tour with the band? I mean, the, the, so many dates of it. I think it's like 127 dates, wasn't it?
1: Right. It was kind of funny because, you know, Gene would say, listen, and you know, he'd say, like, you know, Shannon's coming out. I don't want a bunch of groupies back here. You know, I want you guys to just settle down. I don't have a giant meet and greet. I want you guys to go to the other side of the arena. You know, uh, and and we would have like 300 people backstage. I mean, it was crazy. Some of the shit that we did, but it was kind of the whole thing to us is like, hey man, this is our time. Let's all have fun. Let's 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 bring the party. You know, to where everybody's a part of it. And uh I really do think that even the KISS fans that probably were out on that tour or that, you know, were there to meet KISS or met us would probably see that and and, and and agree. You know, we were we were
2: really into it being a great experience for everybody, not just us. So we've been pretty serious throughout this whole thing. What is the funniest story or the funniest moment that happened on that KISS tour?
1: You know, it's it's all kinds of crazy stuff that uh I, I'd say that probably the funniest to me is uh how Gene would always like start talking to Tim and they'd be walking down a hallway. You know, it's kind of a more of a timepiece than anything, but you know, Gene would have his arm around little Timmy and they'd be walking it down. It was like the the mean Joe Green where he's gonna pass on a Pepsi to him or something, you know. Um <laughs> But, uh, you know, it was really, uh, I think more so than anything, it was just a lot of good times, a lot of smiles, the crazy stories that are.
3: So I don't know if you guys heard me, but the, the bottom line is, is uh, you know, KISS, on that side of it, when we were with them, they treated us like bold and they didn't have to. And, you know, to this day, I think it was, you know, they're a class act and, and uh, you know, there's. You know, on any side of it, whether you know people think that hey, this is this or uh, you know, kiss was this or that. All I know is that they treat us great. They were nice people to us, and you know, for I'll, I'll be forever
2: grateful on that. Side. And, and you also do a really great Gene Simmons impression as well. I do that, and I've been around Gene long enough to know better. That's right.
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you know, it's funny. You know, it's funny when we did. Uh, when we did, the, uh, when we were doing the video for Fly the Angels, just before we were about to go on the road, it was about three weeks before, uh, you know, the, the wardrobe gal, um, I was looking for a bomber jacket for the video and she called up Gene and that he's got that bomber jacket. I used his jacket as a video. So I'm sure it's in his, uh, in his... Uh, laundry list of all the different stuff that he's kept between the kiss stuff. He still has that jacket someplace. That's pretty cool,
0: a Junior. All right, so Mark. let's let's jump into the, your your second slaughter album. You know, um, I get. Did you guys get killed by grunge as well? I mean, we, we talked about uh, you know, I guess uh, what was it, Seattle, and that being one of your favorite memories. Th- yeah,
3: I don't think. Yeah, I don't think that. I don't think that we were killed by it. And you know, I've been asked a lot about this. Um, and, and it's, you know, it, it, the the key is with it is there's a natural cycle that all music goes through. Um, you know, whether it's, you know, when it's the big band era, and that turns into the 50s and the doo-wop and goes into the 60s, which is the Beatles. and I mean, it's just, it's just a natural thing that music goes through changes and goes through different stuff. Where it's at now, I don't know really where it's at at this point. I think it's just about making making your art and not worrying about where it it fits because the genres have stopped changing and it's just become culturally it's just a totally different thing
0: yeah and when i say something getting killed by grunge that isn't exactly fair you know when when people look at the nirvana uh, album cover they should try and find the love gun you know, Kurt's collage has Love Gun on it, and obviously they play Do You Love Me. So, it, you know, rock rock and roll is rock and roll. It goes through phases, as you said. But, you know, how did you guys approach your second album? I mean, you come off tour, you start thinking about...
3: We, we, had, it. we had exactly a month off, and no more. And then we started writing the record, the next record. Well... So it was like, it was just... Uh, there was no time off, really. I mean, you know, mind you, we were just out on tour with Kiss the whole tour. And then we were out with uh, uh, Poison. So, you know, we were mid-91. mid, mid uh, 91, And then it was like, you know, it's time for us to do records. So we went in and, and wrote the record, got it finished and released it in 92. There wasn't much of a, of a break at all for us. I do believe that the wildlife record had a little bit more of a live band aspect to it, um, as opposed to the first record.
0: And that was going to kind of be, uh, you know, a a, a point, you know, the title, The Wildlife. Does that sum up where you were, I guess, you know, from what you've said of being on tour with Kiss? It was uh, pretty wild. Yeah, it was
3: crazy. It was, it was, uh, in the wildlife to me, it was more so than anything. What the, what that song means to me is kind of, uh, of where, it's kind of where people were in their, in their, you know, that's where a crowd was. That's what they were doing. You know, they were, they were in that whole mindset of like, you know, let's get out and enjoy it and be part of the party.
0: So, how did your mindset change in writing this album? Uh, obviously, you guys grow as people as you move on through life, like everyone else. Right. But um, yeah. was was it a two and a half week job, or you know, were you more considered that you need to have this no, type of song? I mean,
3: if you added up the uh, amount of time I, I in, in the actual writing of the song, it was it was. You're probably looking at the writing aspect for each song of the basis of the song um, It's an average of probably. Four hours. Um, but then, when you get into the the musical things of uh, where it's going to go and the different musical changes and the things that I added, you know that that's more time because I, I kept it was an ever changing thing. And one person, I'd rewrite, I'd replay, I'd replay. Um, you know, I'd replay the you know I'd the bass after Mark would send me. After Mark Gooden would finish up the drum tracks, I go well. That's pretty cool, but it's a lot cooler what you're doing there, so I'll just change the bass around, and, you know, a lot of that aspect was, was going on in the record.
4: On, uh, on the first record, and also the, the second one, the, the Wildlife, each album features an acoustic version of songs. Was that more from the record company to possibly get those into top 40? Was that the band's decision?
3: It was. It was something that, you know, it wasn't something that we just really... Uh, it, it's something that we just thought wow it's pretty cool stripped down you know we we think that that would be a song that would, could work being stripped down you know like Days Gone By on the second record was kind of you know that's kind of more of my jazz guitar stuff you know, it really was any any like Halos to an acoustic version of it it was more of a, just kind of a melodic uh, um, rendition of the song you know but the Fly the Angels was certainly you know one of the things that will be when we uh, muted the drums and muted this and broke it down, I mean, it was it was a totally different song broken down that way. Uh, that's really what we uh, were, again what we were focusing on is was the songs.
0: Okay. So I guess uh, before days go by, you know, let's jump back to your your current release, which I, I guess is you know pretty important to make sure we cover everything about. You play everything on the album except drums you know, uh, who's Mark, who's Mark Gooden? I mean, what's your relationship with him?
3: Mark, Mark is a, Mark is a friend of mine from high school. We played in rival bands. Um, and he was this, uh, drummer that I always thought was amazing. Um, he kind of went away, you know, after high school, we lost touch. He got into the corporate world, started working in other aspects of, of that. And, uh, you know, through social media, we ended up, you know, kind of, and through friends, we kind of reconnected, and he said, I'm playing again, and I'm doing this, and I, I would, you know, it's, it's pretty cool, and I was like, that's awesome, and I said, would you like to work with me in the record, and he said, of course, and, and you know, it's just kind of, that's kind of how it went. I mean, I you know, obviously, I know a lot of drummers, and I know a lot of people, but it was just nice to kind of revisit back where I came from, and I think that was a the whole premise of this record, to me, is kind of going back to where I came from and what has made me who I am as a as a musician, as a as a writer, and uh, and also you know the influences the you know the simple influences of of how this guy played drums. I wanted to bring it into the record, and and he's phenomenal. He did a good job.
0: Yeah, you know, it's good solid drumming. You also have uh, Bill Jordan on keyboards, and you co- and did you co-write yeah. "Don't Turn Away" with him.
3: Yeah. Bill wrote, when we, when we did the initial, um, song, when we wrote it, um, I just kept his original keyboard track and then I added keys over the top of it. But yeah, he's, I met, I met Bill through the rock and roll fantasy camp. Um, he was one of the campers when I was a counselor and, um, and we kind of stayed in touch afterwards. We became friends and stayed in touch and afterwards, uh, um, you know, I went up to his place out the Jersey Shore and we hung out and uh and it was really cool. But uh um, you know, it was one of those things that uh it's just a natural you know, again, just writing a song, not really thinking about it, but we just wrote the song and that's how it came came to be.
0: What led to Gina Johnson doing the uh I guess it's a bit of a, a duet for that song.
3: You know, I, I kinda heard it that way. I was I sang the song and then I thought, you know, it sounds cool but you know, I wish there was a, I wish there was a, a girl who could sing on this thing, and, and uh, I said it to Michael. and Michael goes, well, how about you know Gina? She's she's amazing, and da 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 And that's his second engineer that works with him on, you know, on all these a lot of these records that he was doing. She also works with Ben Folds, and you know, um, as an engineer. And uh, you know, ultimately, <laughs> that's. That's how it came to be, and I, I heard her voice, and I said, "You know, this is this is great. It'll look great." So it wasn't like something that I—it um, was just kind of a natural course. I think that's really what I tried to do with that. This whole record is the natural course of events and how they unfold, as opposed to forcing it or, um, you know, and not forcing it to be something it's not, you know.
0: So the Michael you referred to as Michael Wagner who obviously Michael is a,
3: Wagner yeah
0: yes, I mean, exactly total legend how did you uh get him to I, did he mix or did he produce
3: He uh he mixed the record I had the tracks done I I reached out to Michael and I said hey um you know I'd really like to uh um you know get this thing mixed and da." and he goes oh I'd love to do it and so um, I, I was giving him tracks in between flying out and doing slaughter shows. I'd say, here's a track and he'd say, okay, I got that one done. And then he went and mixed like the Tesla record. And, and he's like, okay, I got that done. And I'm ready for more songs. So it was kind of like as the songs were, you know, as I could get it to him and he had holes in the schedule and we could work it through with how it, how it all unfolded. Did uh, any of the slaughter guys want to be involved with the record? I don't think it was, it's not like anybody that I I physically said, hey, does anybody want to be, you know, anybody for ice cream? No, you know, it wasn't (laughs) that type of thing. It was kind of like, it was just kind of like I had it done. I I had recorded every part, every aspect to it. It was kind of like, well, it's not really a slaughter record. You know, I'm not going to go put it under the band's name when I've done everything on it. And again, they, they they do what they do and they have a certain approach and how they, They play and do things. Um, And that is the true aspect of doing a record that way instead of, you know, BS and then putting everybody else's name on it to try to get more money.
0: So I happen to love your guitar work on Baby Wants and Deep in Our Heart, particularly on the sound. How do you approach that lead work, you know, versus how Slaughter as a band records? I mean, are are you just totally free or are you thinking about it? You know, how do you. you...
3: well, the baby wants was definitely a very different. Uh, um was a very different way of uh, how that song came to be. That midsection where the guitar solo is at was kind of a different, a little bit different sound. And I thought I kind of rewrote that area because Mark was doing a kind of a, a Latin thing in there. It was really cool, and it just kind of turned it into a different aspect of where he took it rhythmically. So I changed some of the sonic things over. And then I played the guitar solo over the top of it. And it just kind of played itself. I didn't really like, okay, I'm going to do this do this. It was just kind of like, it's a natural way that, that I felt the song went. And I played who to the song and not to, you know, I, I think I really kept it in the context of what was right for the song. Same thing with Deep in Our Heart. I, and I'm glad you picked up on that. It was just really... Letting the note hang and let it just fall. Let give it a little bit give it give it some wings and let the air catch it, you know?
0: Yeah, for um, my for my limited musical know. vocabulary, I was kinda of thinking David yeah. Gilmore on that track, so
3: Yeah, you know Oh absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. And I, I think that's that's part of all that stuff is you give it space and you give it room and you just let the track kind of drone with it. Um, there, there's a lot of, and deep in our heart, there's a lot of orchestra and, and other stuff that I put on. It's, it's, it's really involved. It's a very, a lot more involved than, than you can even hear because, you know, you can only fit so much of the, of the dams or the straw.
0: Yeah, that's right.
3: But, uh, but I, well, you know, there's a full orchestral thing in there, uh, that I, that I played note for note, you know, here's the violin and here's this part and here's that part. And, but uh you know it's 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 honest and it's cool that way you know
0: it's it's just honest and cool and i I guess that's where Michael did a really good job. It doesn't feel crowded, you know no. all the tracks have enough space to breathe um I'm a big fan of the first song on every album, you know the importance of stuff like you know, away I go, I think that's a fantastic lead off track. As an artist, how important um, do you think that first track on an album is now for setting the tone of where you're going? You don't have an A side and a B side. We used to have, you know, first single, second single would be your A and B. You know, how, how do you kind of right. handle like that these days?
3: Um, it, it, which is which is hard because I still think that way. In fact, the, the CD that I have is 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 uh, actually, you know, it's physically looking like a you know a piece of of vinyl, you know, that was kind of a whole mindset. I really wanted to get back to that. Um, I think it's very important for the first track to have to have that. And, and again, it's I, I really approached this like a vinyl record, which I really wasn't really a part of. With Slaughter, we never had a vinyl record except for over in Europe, and also through the record clubs here. There was no physical vinyl that was put out because it was basically known as going away. And that was kind of hard because, you know, I really, I wanted the physical copy and I was kind of like, I felt we kind of got cheated that way in the United States of not having the, the product that way. And so, uh, you know, that's kind of where I went with this record is trying to take it to what I had missing, you know? When I was listening
4: uh, to the album just recently that you did, which is great, it seems like you had a, a chance to really expand more musically. But like uh, when I hear like Fear Nor Evil, there's a, a song called Yesterday's Gone, Divine Order, and so there's a mandolin in that part. One song that, right. you know, with your, your new album, it seemed like you were able to do even more in that direction. With like mandolin, there's one part I think I hear xylophones.
3: Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of glockenspiel and, and all that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, again, it's to what the song asks for. I, I, I don't think about I don't think about it like, I can do this, and I can do this, and I can do this. I think, what would the song? What does the song want, and what does the song need? Okay. Yeah, that's really where my head is at on it, you know? Okay.
4: You think you have more uh, creative freedom since it was just a solo album? Yeah, rather than Man, what would I have, I've written if I was with Slaughter,
3: the band? Or something? no, I think that I really never thought of it that way. I just, again, I just really, for the most part, um, I, I was just, just what does the song need? What does the song require? What's going to make the song more believable and more um, and have more melodic structure to it?
0: So let's talk about the uh, the Japanese release, because uh, obviously I've got that coming in the mail soon. "Peace for Tomorrow" is uh, the bonus track on that release, and that's a 1991 demo. What can you tell us about that song?
3: Well, there's a, there's a woman that I knew that um, was um, just a great lyricist, and she presented me with the lyrics, and she said, "Here's a song," and it was right during the um, right after the Gulf War. And, uh, and it was just one of those songs that, that, uh, I thought emotionally and that I just needed to record. And I, that's basically, I did all that stuff in the studio myself. Um, but it was a demo and it was, you know, so it's not something you go here. This isn't the big track or this is good for the band. And it really wasn't something I did for the band. It was more about doing a song and, uh, this song never really, you know, it wasn't an artist that was going to do it. There wasn't anything out that side of it, but I thought there, the message was was cool, and I think that it, it uh, um, said what I wanted to say and what what uh, MC wanted to say as well.
0: Right. So you know, why don't we wrap this up because we've had you on the phone for quite a while. You're heading out on you're heading out tomorrow to hit the road with uh, Slaughter, right?
3: yep absolutely another another uh, rock show will be over uh, in uh, Wendover, Nevada, and then back home after that and then back out to play uh, Phoenix and then Tucson after that. That's our next Flight eight.
0: Have you had any feedback on this album from uh, your peers or your band members
3: um blanda really liked it um a good uh, guitar player he, he 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 dug it he thought the songwriting was great and uh, um he dug it. And again, I think that you know he understands as an artist where I was going, and you know Dana just doesn't. I think he looks at it as like what's left in this industry, because it's kind of you know as you know it's kind of imploded on itself in a lot of ways, and where is the music business when there's really not much of a business left? Um, and uh, I think that he approaches it a little bit in that way. Uh, or, or what is it that somebody would care if there was another slaughter record? It'd have to be something that was really uh, a very monumental thing, as opposed to just going off and recording. A lot of these bands that, that you know, from from our genre, in my opinion, they record stuff, but a lot of times it's more putting demos out than actual records. I don't think they really put that time in it. I think it's kind of a you know, sometimes it's a money grab.
0: Yeah, and and there doesn't seem to be a whole lot of money in it these days. If you look at the rates uh, artists get for Spotify, you know if they even get if they even get anything. So, you know, does this reignite your creative bug? I mean, do you plan on having other projects on the horizon?
3: Uh, No matter no matter what, I will continue to write and I will continue to record, whether it's with slaughter, whether it's with solo stuff, whether it's with other artists. I think really we're I think this record was good for me. It was just to say, to redefine and to fall back into doing what I love for the purpose, the love of doing it, it's not about a money grab. It's about doing songs that I think people will really emotionally get and understand where I'm coming from as an artist as opposed to, you know, um, uh, of what this fits and, and I can sell a zillion copies of it. You know what I mean?
0: Oh, absolutely! Absolutely, uh, I mean
3: it's just not that anymore. That mindset is just—it doesn't work that way, right? It's gone. Real quick, I came in just a little
4: late there, Mark. Um, is there any recordings with Nick Menza on drums that
3: you guys worked together briefly before Blast? No, no. Uh, he he just uh, was there in the auditions and stuff, and and uh, and in uh, a, a brilliant drummer, a uh, brilliant drummer. I just don't think that. When we were doing that, and as far as the fit of the band, I think that he was perfect for. For uh, I mean, he could have worked very easily in, in slaughter, but, uh, um, you know, he was. Uh, I think he was great with with Megadeth. I think he was great for that for for what and you know, where they were at the time. Okay, and uh, who wrote the riff, the eye to eye? Uh, which one? What are you talking about? Which one? Um, the opening riff to the song. Who wrote that? da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. Oh, I mean, down, 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 down. That's just kind of a. It's just uh, between Dana and I, on that. Yeah, that's a that's a great rep. It's just kind of you know again it was like uh, you know it's just the way that stuff just came together. We just put it together. It wasn't like you know I wrote this, you did that. It's just it was just like let's just get this let's get the song out there. You know, let's get it towards right where it,
2: it connects to people. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it connected uh, well with me. It was a great great track. I'm actually going to show my age uh, a little bit here. I'm, I've actually never seen Slaughter Live. I'm actually going to go this November when you guys play in Troy, Ohio. I, I'm only 30 years old, so I kind of missed the whole boat of everything. doesn't mean I'm not a big fan or anything, but I really do appreciate the artists like yourself that keep putting out uh, new music because there's only so much I could go back and listen to what was done before. So it's really right. exciting and really fresh to me to see a new uh, a new Mark Slaughter album. And hopefully, maybe down line, uh, a new Slaughter record. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I appreciate that, and, and again, I think that uh, you know it
3: is different. And and uh, um, you know, look, music is is basically the soundtracks for life, man. And it's just it it all of it is. It, it kind of takes us back to where we were and where you know, it's just such a big part of, at least to me, the way I see it, a big part of who we are. And, and, and it takes to those times. And, and, uh, um, you know, I just love music, man. And I just, I, I I'm just so glad that I'm able to still make it and still be, uh, a part of whatever is left of this, of this industry. It's more about just keeping the art out there and whatever sketches or, uh, that, that people will understand or not understand. It's about making the art, you know, right. and that's uh, that's where my head's at.
4: If, if Slaughter never does another album, I got to tell you, Back to Reality is,
3: in my opinion, one of your best records. Well, thanks. It, it's it was um, that was very different uh, than the other Slaughter records. You know, the, the yeah. other you it's know, Stick like and and all Stick It to yeah. you through revolution was a lot of dana and i just these are writing the songs and and when jeff was joined the band after tim passed we went into a rehearsal hall and we wrote songs as a band on that record um so it was very um everybody's got their fingers in the pie on that record as opposed to um just writing songs and then everybody playing their parts on it so in that side of it, I think it's very different. I, I love the records just like I love the other ones. There's the, you know it's a different different uh, timber, but uh, I think it's very important and very instrumental where you know where the band came from and, and went.
0: And hopefully it'll be available digitally at some point because when I went back into your catalog, I couldn't find that one online. Um, yeah. So I gotta I gotta, gotta go down to my used CD shop and find a copy of that. So. I look forward well, to yeah, checking it's out. funny
3: how this, it, this this industry and that side of it, it's it's crazy what is available and what's not available. And one day it is available and then it's not available. Either. You know, last year at one point, Stick It To You and Wildlife was not even available through iTunes. Wow. Um, because there was a transition where Universal had bought EMI and they hadn't put it into their system. And lo and behold, it took a while,
0: you know. Yeah, and of course your last two albums were on CMC. I don't know what happened to them.
3: Yeah. Well, I turned into Sanctuary, and now Tom Lipsky, who, you know, started that label and is over at, I think, Loud and Proud is where he's at now. He's, you know, did that record with George Lynch. And, and uh, I think, I, again, I think they're just trying to define where the industry's going.
0: All right. So let, let's wrap this up, Mark, because you, you've given us a, a, a great interview. We certainly appreciate it. Um, anything you want to plug, I mean, you're out there, obviously, Mark's new album is a great album for fans of rock and roll, just go out and, you know, regardless of the KISS connections, the Vinny connections, or whatever, you know, go out and check this album out, it's just, uh, you know, good rock and roll. Um,
3: well, thanks, it, it's, you know what, here's the truth, it's just, it's just writing songs and putting putting things into song that, that I think needed to be, and, uh, and again, it's, it's, it's just a national course of events. You know, I, I, am I'm real pleased the way it turned out and, and looking forward to making more music in whatever context it is. But, um, so far the support's been great and uh, people can buy the, the album on, uh, through my website, MarkSlaughter.com, or they can go through the traditional ways of iTunes, Amazon, Google, and all that other stuff. And it's there. Um, that's that's where a lot of people are buying things. The physical products will be through the website
0: or buying it from Japan or or England or you know from Europe. Fantastic! So you know, Andrew, Joel, and I and uh, the Kiss FAQ community, we certainly thank you for your time tonight um, and appreciate it. So we wish you the best. You know, have a good uh, well, flight thank tomorrow. You.
3: Appreciate it. Thank you very much. And and you know what, to to the Kiss community, you know. Bottom line is is that was such a big part of not only through the Vinnie Vincent days, but through the support that we had when we were touring with Kiss, and, and uh, certainly it's you know part of the of the I should, should say the family tree that we belong to, and we're very proud of it. But I think that it's a it's one of those things that uh, um, you know we don't take for granted, and we're very thankful for.
0: Awesome, Mark. Well, thank you very much for your time, and we wish you the very best.